If you're listening and you think you're not creative, maybe you're not. Odds are you have some creativity in there somewhere. You just need to explore it and, and let it out because it's a hell of a lot of fun when you do. Welcome to How I Lawyer, a podcast where I talk to attorneys from throughout the profession about what they do, why they do it, and how they do it well. I'm your host, Jonah Perlin, a law professor in Washington, D.C. This episode is sponsored, edited, and engineered by my friends at Law Pods. Law Pods is a professional podcast production company focused solely on attorney podcasting. I absolutely love working with them, and if you're considering becoming a legal podcaster or just want to learn more, check them out at lawpods.com. And now, let's get started. Hello, and welcome back. In today's episode, I speak with Robert Ingalls, who's the founder and chief strategist at Law Pods, a company that produces branded podcasts for some of the premier law firms in the world, and full disclosure, is the editor and inaugural sponsor of the How I Lawyer podcast. Rob is the perfect person for this job. He's not just a podcaster, but also a trained lawyer who started as a solo practitioner, where his practice focused on business advising, civil litigation, and estate planning. He's also worked as a compliance specialist before moving full-time into more creative and entrepreneurial pursuits, including his own podcast. Rob's a graduate of East Carolina University, Go Pirates, and Charlotte Law School. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you. It's so fun to be able to talk to you. I mean, we talk a lot outside of the podcast, and it's really fun to sort of be able to, to talk to you and hear your story. And for anybody listening, talk a little bit about lawyer podcasting. I think we'll have a good time. Yeah, I've been following your show for, I guess, about a year now on Twitter. At first, it was just kind of from the outside. And then now I'm on the other side of it, actually bringing the episodes to life. So it's been a it's been a fun journey. It's incredible to have you. I will tell you, you have made my life 1000% easier already. And I think the product, once we start uh, publishing pretty soon for 2022, is just stronger. So I'm super grateful to have you all on board and for you to just support the show and support me as someone who is just doing this by myself often late at night, and you all are providing this service to me and service to everybody's ears. So look, I want to start by asking you about your path to becoming a lawyer. Like, When did you decide, I want to be a lawyer, and what was the drive for that? So I'm one of those kids who wanted to be a lawyer from a very young age. I was always interested in the law, and I think there was a couple main factors I think that contributed to that. One, I was from a low-income area, and there was, it was a rural community and there was so much prestige on professionals that were in medicine, that were lawyers, you know, let them be doctors and lawyers and such. I didn't know what such was. So I was like, why not lawyer? Right. (laughs) And they were also so rich. They had all the money. The lawyers in town had nice houses and drove nice cars. And so that, that was interesting to me as well. But I was also fascinated by the legal system. Just, I was always like, I loved unsolved mysteries and all of the different crime shows. And and my mom would watch them with me. I used to read the books. Like when the Ted Bundy book came out, I read that. I don't know how my parents let me read that stuff. I mean, (laughs) but I was, I was so, I think I was just so interested in it. And then there ended up being a very high profile murder case in my town when I was probably around 10 years old. Wow. And part of one of the trials took place in my county. My mom took me to watch part of it. And Mm. of course, now being a lawyer, I understand why, but you don't really necessarily understand what's going on, but you're close to it. There's the guy who they say did the thing and then the lawyers and they're arguing and, and it was so sexy. Like to me, I was like, this is really cool. And so that was part of it. I was like, at that point I was hooked on it Mm -hmm. and just stories of justice in general. They were compelling to me. 
from the victim side and the accused side of just on the victim side, you help that person. And then on the accused side, what if they didn't do it? You always see the, the, you know, it wasn't quite as nearly as big then. Right. But there's so many people who get exonerated. And the idea of being able to help somebody, I remember this as a kid, like the idea of being like, they didn't do that and I'm going to help them get out of jail like that blew my mind. And so from a young age, I was like, I'm going to be a criminal defense attorney. Like that's all I could think about. Hmm. And then I'll tell you when it came time to go to law school, I think part of it then was also, I don't think I'm ready to do, you know, big kid stuff yet. Mm-hmm. And, and more school sounded like a safer bet. It was not because law school is not the same as school, but nobody, you know, like <laughs> I didn't know that. And it's not cheap. It's not cheap. And it's so much harder. Like you can skate mm-hmm. through some undergrad usually. Then you get to law school and, and the world changes. Sure. But ultimately, I mean, I think that was a good thing for me. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the short answer. I love it. I love it. And I love how sort of the story part of being a lawyer is what drove you to the profession. Because I think sometimes people lose sight of that, that really the excitement about lawyers and sort of client-based advocacy is you get to work with a client and help tell a story, whether it's the story the client wants or the real story, it depends on where you sit. But I think remembering that and hearing that in your voice and hearing that story is just so fascinating and fantastic for anyone who's thinking about being a lawyer. I'll tell you, I think that was part of what really helped me be successful uh, was also learning how to tell that story. Because that's a big part of lawyer training is learning how to tell a compelling story that might make someone change their mind. Absolutely. So I think that was helpful. Yeah. And it's something that we're trying to do. You know, I teach full-time, teach legal practice, legal writing. Something we're trying to integrate even more richly into our curriculums is this idea of storytelling and specifically legal storytelling and what that means. So you go to law school and you graduate. What do you do next? Go, what am I supposed to do now? (laughs) Like, really, I I don't think I knew. I just, I expected there were going to be jobs. That had always been the assumption. Hmm. And I think for a long time, it was the case. And I got out and there were a lot of people that were my year, not only in my school, but in all, all the people I'd networked with, a lot of people I knew from undergrad went to different law schools around the country and they were all having a very similar experience of a lot of them weren't getting hired. And when they were getting hired, they weren't getting hired for a great position. Hmm. So the market, this was 2011, yeah. was, was not perfect. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up just hanging a shingle with a friend just to do something because I wanted to practice and I was like, well, no one's going to stop me. And the only offers out there were real, real bad. I mean, like, you don't need to go to high school to get the kind of offers that mm. some of us were getting. Right. It's a challenge. And so he said, you know, we have nothing to lose. Let's do it. And, and so I started out as a criminal defense attorney. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I was passionate about. That's what I started doing. And I did it for, I think my heart was in it maybe for a year. And then I kind of slogged through the next year. But I discovered that, I was very idealistic coming in, which I think is a common problem for, for lawyers. But I, the reality of practicing criminal law hit me hard. Hmm. Say more about that. Yeah, it's, I'm a very, uh, I'm, I'm an empathetic person. I, I wear my feelings on my sleeve. And the work, like it's not built for people like me. It's hmm. your day-to-day work is a, a grind. And not from a, like, oh, it's hard to do the work from an emotional grind. 
the, all of the cases that you have, they're all very similar. You're seeing the same people sometimes day after day for different cases. And while your job is to help them, I felt so frequently like the bad guy in the movie. Hmm. It's just when I got done with my day, I was the bad guy for a lot of people because there's always a victim when, the, you know, not necessarily always, sometimes the victim's Walmart, but I was doing a lot of cases in domestic violence court. So sometimes you're advocating, you're in a trial, and your job sometimes is to diminish credibility in a witness. And, and I just doing that in those situations was so terribly hard on me. And I know that it has to get done, and it, almost all the time that I did it, it was the right ethical thing to do. I'd like to think, and, but it still didn't, it made me feel terrible hmm. about myself. And you see, and like, you try not to let it get to you because you know you're doing what you're supposed to do. But as you're leaving the courtroom, like they're staring daggers through you. They hate you in that moment. And I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. And it's so important. I think people often decide what they want to do when they grow up. I mean, I'm still figuring that out. I think we're both still figuring <laughs> that out to be candid, but you go in and you think this is what I want to do. But if you've never done it, you don't know what it's like to have the lived experience of doing that. Yeah, It's why I encourage all of my students, anytime you can get any practical experience while you're in law school, in the summer, during school, in a clinic, like take it. And if the worst thing you think of at the end of the day is, I don't want to do that ever again, like that's perfectly fine. Like you've learned something in the moment. And I, and I commend you for doing it and then for also being able to realize this isn't for me. Yeah. There was a couple of moments right at the end that, that sealed it where I just had an experience with a client that was so emotionally difficult for me mm -hmm. that I wasn't able to sleep. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I, I went to my office and I said, we're done. You know, obviously it wasn't my very last case because I had cases I was carrying. It was the last new case I took. That was it. Hmm. At that point, that's when it kind of started, mm -hmm. when the spiral away from law started. I was nowhere near ready to give up, and I had carved out some other interesting little niches. I, I started doing these unemployment hearings that I discovered through another one, and that gives you a ton of trial experience. It's real fast. A lot of it's on the phone, and that was really fun, but then there was some political things in our area that happened that dried those up. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, well, what am I going to do now? And then I got into civil litigation for most of the rest of my career was really where I focused was just general, small civil stuff. And I liked it. Well, I like court. <laughs> I like court, which was better in criminal because I actually got some court. And then you get to civil and you think you're going to get some court and there's so little court. And the court you do go yeah. to is just driving motions and mm -hmm. none of the fun stuff. And, you know, it's so, so little of it was trial, which is the thing that I really enjoyed. And that was, that was also tough on me because the, I mean, I think anybody who's listening to this podcast knows that civil litigators can tend to not be the easiest people in the world to deal with. As a former civil litigator, I can concede that point that you know, it's a challenge, right? It's a, it's a like never ending negotiation with the fear of trial and the court hanging over your head. Right. And that's a challenge. It's a hard job to have. Now, some people are really good at it. Some of my best friends are civil litigators. Had I not made the pivot I did, I probably would still be a civil litigator, but it can, it can wear on you a little bit. And then I want to hear about your pivot. I want to hear about your pivot to, you know, you've told me that you kind of go all in on business and entrepreneurship before you figure out exactly that you're going to be the muse of the legal podcasting world. What was that? What was that pivot like? I mean, I'll tell you it happened 
in a word, fatherhood. Hmm. And, and I wasn't even a father yet, but I'd just gotten married and I hadn't thought about leaving the law at all. And then when I got married, it was this, maybe we'll have a baby one day. We were like mid to late thirties. I'm not sure who we thought we were. <laughs> and my wife realized it about three months after we got married. And she said, well, one day is, is today. Mm-hmm. I'm, I think we should start like today. Like I've taken my temperature and I think today. <laughs> and I'm like, oh dear God, like I'm not ready to be somebody's dad. That was tomorrow guy's problem. And within a very short period of like days and weeks, I just kind of had a, had a freak out. And it wasn't about not wanting to be a dad. It was about not wanting to be a dad right now in this current life I was living. I was so, I don't think I really understood it at the time, but I was so profoundly anxious and overcome and overwhelmed every day all the time. Hmm. And I kind of, it all kind of hit me at once. Like I can't be somebody's dad being who I am right now. Like I'm not doing well. I can't bring someone else into the world and then be their their primary mentor, one of their two primary mentors while feeling and, and living the way I am right now. And so it was pretty quick in there that I said, I don't think I can keep being a lawyer. Like that was the problem. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? I picked up some side hustle work to just start making some more money because I was like, I don't have enough money to raise a child right now. Sure. I have to work more. And that was a pretty mindless job in the scheme of things. And it allowed me to, uh, it was a document review job that I was doing in like my spare time. Um, if anybody's done doc review, like you might not see something you really need to look at for days. Right. But it allowed me to think. Hmm. And it also allow me to listen to things. And so I listened to an audiobook. That audiobook was like, you should listen to our podcast. I'd never listened to a podcast. I listened. I didn't like it, but I was already in the app. I listened to another podcast, the second podcast I ever listened to. I'm walking around downstairs from the job and this guy comes on. His name's Tom Bill, you founder of Quest Nutrition. And he says something that I'd heard a thousand times probably. And uh, the the thrust of it was you can you can literally do anything that you want with your life, right? We've heard that. We've all heard it. You can be anything you want when you grow up. Sure. But in that moment, like I heard it for the first time. Like I, I can be anything I want. And I didn't even know what that was at that moment. Like it wasn't like, oh, it all clicked. But it was liberating. In that moment. It, no, not at all. But the idea of, okay, well, what do I want to do? It opened up that space that I hadn't really given any air to in a really long time. And within, I mean, in less than 30 days, my bedroom, my uh, spare bedroom at my house is a like recording studio, essentially wires going everywhere. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have any formal training in this. I'm just Googling stuff. Like, how do I make a podcast? You know, I've been there and yeah. And that's where it started. That's where the love started because listening to those podcasts, I connected with it. And it was such an intimate way to get the information that you want, but also feel like you're, you're a part of something, like you're listening to the people that you want. There might be a thousand podcasts on the one subject you care about, but there might be that one person that you really want to hear it from. Mm-hmm. And that was so powerful to me that it, it, I understood, like there's room for the voices in, in this type of medium. And so I, I was like, I'm going to do that. I want to do this. And I still had a firm at the time. I was like, I'm going to start a law podcast out of my firm. Like, I'm super excited about this. <laughs> and so I bought the gear. I started it. I started that law podcast. I did not like talking about the law. 
Like I, I would just wander off into like left field in the middle of my law podcast episodes talking about personal development and whatnot. And over the course of a couple of years, I just kept at it. I kept hating law and I finally made that decision. Okay. I'm going to completely cut ties with law. And at that point I had a number of irons in the fire. It's not like, Oh, I knew the thing when I found it and I chased it. That wasn't it. Right. You know, that's, that'd be the movie version because they got to get it in 90 minutes. But that I had several businesses going that like trying to go and I was trying to figure out which one was going to do it. And really the, the big moment happened when I was standing in Harris Teeter grocery store trying to buy breakfast items. And my wife texted me and she said, what's a tax garnishment? And I said, oh shit. And the money situation was getting to a point where they were garnishing my wife's taxes hmm. for my debts. That is not a good place to be in your marriage. And so in that moment, like over the next couple of days, we had some conversations and it was like, look, I understand that you don't want to do that and you want to do something fun and exciting with your life. Mm -hmm. But we have a baby. We had a baby at that point who was just a few months old and decisions had to be made. I had to to focus and I had to do, you know, I had to to do the big kid stuff. And so I picked, I picked the thing I liked most. Hmm. You know, there was a lot of mindset issues around it because who am I? Who am I who went to law school, who did criminal justice first, who has no marketing training, no business training, no communications training, like never held a microphone until, you know, right until 2015. And so that was a tough little hurdle to come over from a mindset perspective. But at the same time, I loved it. Wow. I love the thing. I wanted to do more of the thing. And so I picked the thing. I met my first client. I mean, I'd known him for several years, but he saw me doing it online. And this was within a month of deciding to go all in. And he said, Hey, I want to do that. Can you come by my office tomorrow? Hmm. And, and I, I, I love to say his name. His name's Bill Powers. He's North Carolina attorney. Um, one of like my favorite people in the world now, but he was my first client. He gave me my first shot. None of it happens. Like, I don't want to say none of it. I don't want to undersell myself. Like I'm pretty driven. But like, that's where it started. Wow. It started with one lawyer saying, I think that would be cool. Let me try. Wow. There's so much in that story that I think, that I think, look, that I think any young lawyer, no matter where you are or how happy you are, can hear and need to hear. And, you know, one of the things that you said was you had a lot of irons in the fire and then you picked the thing you liked. And I think that is sort of a universal feeling that lawyers sometimes have. We don't know what the opportunities are out there. And candidly, those opportunities don't even have to be legal just because we have a JD. And the fact that you went all in is really what helped. And then all you needed was one client, right? Like that is such an important sort of way or mindset shift. And I'm just super grateful that you're willing to share your story. Cause I think one of the things that I wish more lawyers did is share the stories of the hard times and not just the good times. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's where we bond. It's, you know, you get excited in the good times, but when you go through the ditches with somebody and come out on the other side, like that's a friendship for life. That's so, I mean, that's, and that's what helps people connect to us is they're like, oh my gosh, that happens to me too. Hmm. Before we move on to talk more about law podcasting, I want to know if you were casting the movie, who would play you? Oh, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. That, absolutely. <laughs> I love that. Um, so you, so you get to do a podcast, uh, you do your own podcast and you also start sort of editing all these podcasts and sort of being the podcast, uh, whisperer. Tell me more about what law pods looks like today. What are you guys doing? What does your day look like? 
what kind of clients are you working with? What's what, what does it mean to be a uh, podcaster or podcast producer for lawyers? Sure. It's uh, it's very cool. I'll say that. My days are very interesting. Not that they're not stressful like anyone else's, but they're super fun. And from day one, where I was the graphic designer, I taught myself how to use Photoshop because he paid me a certain amount of money to make his podcast and I wasn't giving any of it away. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to use Photoshop to make his cover art. And his cover art actually still looks good. It's what he's using today. Well done. And right. Then I did all of the editing, which I'd taught myself. And wrote the show notes myself. Um, you know, I spent a lot of money learning how to write, so I felt pretty competent at that. Then did all the technical work from getting it out into the world, getting it published, making sure that it showed up everywhere it needed to show up, helping him get it onto the website. So everything, anything that got done in the company, I did it. And thankfully, that's not the case today. I have an amazing team, and I'm a, a lot less involved than I used to be. Sure. And I miss some of that stuff, but that's, I mean, that's part of being a business owner. But today, it's we really have turned this company into a turnkey podcast production company for some of the premier firms in the world. And really, our, we see to this pretty strong, but you do the talking, we do the rest. Hmm. We ask our lawyers to show up and talk. We can't do that for them. Um, but also, we've picked a demographic that tends to like to hear themselves talk. So that has not tended to be a problem. At every firm that we work with, there's always at least one or two who are like, oh yeah, I'll talk, you know? It's why having a uh, podcast where you interview lawyers, it, people say, oh, you must be so worried about pitching lawyers. I said, lawyers love talking about themselves. Most people most people say yes. So that that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Yeah, you don't have to worry about the monosyllabic answers with lawyers. So they show up, they talk, and then we really take it from there. We, you know, we help them figure out what it is that they're going to do and talk about and all of that stuff. But once they're done talking, their commitment is really done. And we take it, we're going to edit it, we're going to mix it in with these like super sexy professional voiceover intros and outros. That's probably my favorite part is working with those voiceover artists. Like, oh my, it feels like you're talking to God. And you're like, you can't be a real person. Like, put on your camera. And mix that all together, cut those ums, those awkward pauses, all that ugly stuff. And not that your show has any of those. We do almost no editing to it. <laughs> and, and then our, you know, we write show notes, thinking about SEO in mind with that, these comprehensive show notes, transcripts. From there, we're creating videos, we're creating marketing assets, quote images, all the things you need to actually market your podcast. Because a lot of people will make a podcast, they'll drop a link on LinkedIn one time, no one sees it. Why isn't our podcast working? Because you have to market it. And so we figured that out. How do we help them market it? So we help them market the show. We get all of those pieces out there that they can share on their stream, that people can see, they can interact with. We help our clients become guests on other podcasts that people in their target market might be listening to as well. And all different ways to help them take advantage of the show because they record it. But how can we then take that show that they recorded and make sure people hear it? Right. And do you feel like your legal training helped you at all in being sort of a small business owner? Yes. I mean, my legal training helped me in my entire life. I would never give it back. People say, oh my gosh, you wasted all that money. Oh no, no, I didn't waste it. Now, could it have been less expensive somewhere else? Sure. But it's not wasted. Going to law school, suffering that experience, becoming a lawyer and living that lifestyle changed who I am fundamentally as a person the way I view the world, the way I make decisions. Like decisions don't get made by going from A to C. You stop at B every time or you don't make the decision. 
Like there's always the analysis. You don't get to right. make a conclusion without defending it. And I do that for every decision, even if it's a small one, I can do it quickly. Has to happen. And that was life-changing in itself. You don't just get to have your beliefs about the world anymore. You have to challenge them. And I mean, it changed my politics in a, in a pretty severe way. So I was able to bring that into business, every decision I make here, but, and just as a business owner, negotiation is a big part of business, whether right. it be internally or with your vendors or anybody. And that wasn't a skill I just naturally came by. And thankfully there was an entire class in law school called negotiations. Right. Right. And that's been super helpful for me in, in just learning how to think about the negotiation process and just, you know, people you hear think like a lawyer. Right. That was huge for me. Mm -hmm. I love that I think like a lawyer. And, you know, I don't think people outside who meet me now, like think, oh, that guy was probably a lawyer. But most people are like, that guy? <laughs> the guy who is always dressed like this? Yeah, right. And, and has a microphone in his face. But at the same time, I still approach the world that way. I still think that way. And that's been um, just invaluable for me. Hmm. And, you know, what's amazing for me hearing your story sort of in this format for the first time is we started our conversation with stories, right? You were drawn to the law because of stories, and now you're a storyteller or at least a story facilitator. I guess my next question is, why should lawyers podcast? And I want to ask a more specific version of that, which is, you know, there's lots of ways for lawyers to put themselves out there in the world. Uh, we live in a world where putting yourself out there is not actually that hard. Now, getting other people to notice you, as you say, might be a challenge, but putting yourself out there is not that hard. Why this particular medium or this particular genre? There's a few answers to that, but I think the big one for me is it's the only medium that gives instead of taking. When right now, right this second, somebody's on the treadmill and they're like, wait, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody's on the treadmill. Somebody's on the train. Somebody's driving. Because we're not asking them to stop what they're doing and give us their attention. We're keeping them company while we provide, I hope, valuable, you know, something of value in their life. But we're also just entertaining them too. Like we're just mm -hmm. hanging out and we're not asking them for anything. Keep doing what you're doing. And that is, that's what's driving the renaissance of audio. Because for a moment there, when video was really had exploded, the idea that audio would come back like this, I think people would have laughed at you because no audio was. That was a thing. We did right. it. It was nice. Like it was a way that the president could talk to you and you could hear him. That was amazing. That's over. Clearly, we were wrong. And then for a while, as audio was coming back, I think people thought, oh, well, that's nifty. It's cute. It's retro. And but it's just a bright, shiny object. The fact that you're doing this and you're not doing it because it's a waste of your time, you see value in it. And that's why you continue to do it. Absolutely. You have subscribers who are listening to every episode and providing you feedback and you're growing your network because people care. People are tuning in and we're seeing that across the world. This isn't a uniquely something unique to one country. And it gives you that opportunity to sit with the host that you like, the guests that you like, and just engage with them. And, and then, you know, a lot of the cool thing about podcasting is there's email lists. You can engage with them on social media. You, you know, in our situation, you can have somebody that you're following tweet back at you and it turns into a relationship like we have right here. So that, 
that that's a big part of it. But I also, I think it's still very early. I think it's still in its infancy. Hmm. Right now, when, when an AMLAW firm launches a podcast, it's still getting press. I don't think that's going to go on for much longer because they're all going to have one soon. But to why they're doing it, they're doing it because it works. A lot of people think it's a bright, shiny object and they're doing it because other people are doing it. But at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm in the middle of it. Hmm. They're doing it because it works. They're doing it because people are listening. You know, I, I was on the phone with a CMO at a monster size law firm and the question came up, who would listen? There's already one podcast about this subject. Who would listen to another? Hmm. I, I didn't say this, but I wanted to say there's like 19 Real Housewife shows. Right. And I'm pretty sure another one's coming. This is a very high-end firm discussing issues and thinking, well, this other firm's already talking about it. Who would listen to us? Well, it turns out it's been a lot of people. Yeah. Because they, there's, there's room in the marketplace to hear, well, what do they think? Right? Right. I mean, it makes so much sense, right? The, the world, I think it's hard for people in the internet age to realize that the denominator of potential listeners is basically infinite. And so there is always, or at least for a long time, there's going to be room for people who do it and people who do it well. I'll also just add, you know, you mentioned the relationships it creates as sort of one of the benefits. And I will tell you as an independent podcaster who's an academic, I mean, talk about law firms not wanting to get into podcasts. I mean, academics all the more so. The podcast changed my life. Here, here. I mean, truly, the one of the most important things, both personally and professionally, of 2021, which was a very hard year for lots of other reasons, was starting this podcast. I have made incredible relationships with people, not just as lawyers, but as human beings, simply because we met through the internet and I said, hey, can I interview on the podcast? Yeah. I've found collaborators. I mean, you and I have collaborated. I joined the board of an organization of somebody that I interviewed on the podcast. And after the podcast, he said, hey, you know, we clearly have similar interests. You want to come join the board? I've made legitimate friends through this process. And I have learned so, so much about what it means to be a lawyer. And I can use that every day in my teaching and in my counseling with my students. So it is a, I think I heard some guy on the internet use this phrase, so I'm stealing it. But it's, it's like a serendipity engine. It creates serendipity in the world. And you have to put yourself out there in order for the serendipity to happen. It's just awesome. Right. I, I love that. That's really great. I, I have heard something similar to that. You know, you can't really cross paths with opportunity if you're sitting on the couch. Hmm. You've got to be out doing something in order to even have good luck find you. Right. That kind of thing. And I love Although that. Although the irony is, the irony is, of course, now you can podcast from your couch. <laughs> and that's what great about it. I mean, the other thing you mentioned, right, is the asynchronicity of it, right? Like, we can be in different time zones. We can have different focuses. And it's like, look, I spend 45 minutes with, with Rob's voice or with Jonah's voice on Saturday at 7 a.m. because that's when it's convenient for me, the listener. Right. And the coolest thing about this podcast is the most listened to episodes are not the people who are the most famous. They are the podcasts that have been up the longest, meaning people just find it over time and it's sitting out there a library of now over 50 interviews. And if someone wants to check it out, they can do that on their own time whenever they want to. Right. They can go back to episode one. Right. And people do. And, and see what you were up to. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And I think it's great that you are providing, for folks that need the support, you are providing that support and providing a real service 
to lawyers who I hope make good podcasts because candidly, that's great for all of us in the profession. It's great for our students. And I think it's great that you're just, you know, helping people put it out there. And I, I do love it. And to go back to one thing that you just said about the relationships, that's one of the things that I think I forget to stress when I'm talking to lawyers about podcasting is that relationship factor is when you invite someone on your podcast, A, you have definitely run into this. What would the odds be if you called up a former chief justice and you know of a state court and said, hey, can I talk to you for about 30 or 45 minutes? I just kind of want to hear about your life. I just want to ask you some questions and get your advice. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, the line would go dead quick, right? Right. If you even got him on the line or her on the line. Right. But now, I mean, look, I mean, look at your guest list of people that you've talked to and that you've developed real relationships with because you said, hey, I have a podcast where we talk about cool stuff. Do you want to come talk about cool stuff? Yeah. Boom. You have new friends. And it works the same way in business. I mean, yours, not to say yours isn't a business, but you invite someone on your show who's an expert in this industry. You have a quick chat with them about it. You get to know them a little bit. And you're at a minimum, you're adding them to your network of people that you have personal relationships with. Sure. But you're also now starting to get in a position where you can have a referral partner, mm -hmm. potentially a client. And there is, you know, I can't reach out to you and say, hey, I want to be your lawyer for this international issue you're dealing with, but I can certainly invite you on my podcast, have a conversation, become cordial with each other, become friends. And then eventually you're like, well, actually I need a lawyer. Right. Talk to that guy. He's actually a pretty good guy, you know? And, and that's the way that could turn into a client for me if I'm a lawyer. And that that's one of the areas that's a little softer from a metric perspective, but is going to pay dividends forever in those relationships. Absolutely. And the fact that other people get to listen is like an added benefit uh, of the whole experience. Yeah. Listen to me talk to this cool person. Right. Exactly. So what makes a podcast stand out for you? What makes a good podcast in, in your mind? Number one, entertaining. It needs to keep me paying attention to it because I could show up to a podcast with a genuine problem that I need to solve for. And that podcast could have every single answer that I need in it. But if I can't stay awake or pay attention, then it, it, I'm never going to get it. Hmm. You know, we, we've just as students, we know that when you're just sitting in front of the class, that, that professor, uh, just monotone nonsense, no stories. It's so boring. You don't, you, an hour later, you have no idea what just happened. And you're like, Oh God, I'm going to have to study more. And it's the same way with podcasts. It has to keep your attention and be entertaining. And, and that goes back to earlier, tell stories. Hmm. It's the easiest way to be entertaining is, is tell stories. We're lawyers. We all have stories. Tell stories that come back to the meat of whatever it is that you're talking about. Right. And let your personality shine. So frequently people will kind of saddle up to the mic and they'll put their professional voice on. <laughs> and I, I tell people, throw the professional voice out the window. It's, it, it's, it's time is done. We don't need it anymore. Right. It's certainly not here. That is not going to resonate with someone else. They're not going to go, well, my, 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 that lawyer sounds professional. I think I'll call them. I wonder how many books they own. <laughs> and it's, it's not something that makes people feel connected to you. What makes people feel connected is what I call a cocktail party podcast. I want you to think when you're podcasting that you are at a cocktail party and your listeners are all standing right beside you, kind of leaned in, because you're having a conversation with somebody else, mm -hmm. but they hear it and they leaned in. They want to overhear what you're saying. And I want you to have that conversation like that. Talk to that other person like you're at a cocktail party. 
a bit informal. Let it show that you're excited. When you're excited about an issue, whether it's healthcare, private equity, or international tax, whatever it is, that's the thing you like. That's the thing that gets you out of bed that you're excited about. Yes. Let that show. Let people hear that. Tell the stories of the times that you did the thing that was funny and let them into your life a little bit because that is what's going to win them over. That is what's going to make them come back and want to hear more, but also just get those fuzzy feelings for you. Because at the end of the day, we all know this. We do business with people we like first. They might know what they're doing. If two people know what they're doing and you like one of them, you're going to always go with that person. We like to work with people that we like. And this is a really good way to get people to like you is to just let them know who you are. And it also disqualifies people who don't like you. You tell a joke that they're like, I don't like jokes from my lawyers. Well, then you're probably not our client. You know, we don't need them all. There's right. a lot of clients out there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's so right. I, you know, I've never really thought about it, but the times that I've been the most nervous on this podcast are when I tell personal stories about me, right? Like, you know, I was a former civil litigator and I used to take depositions and sometimes the deponent would would come back and ask me, the lawyer, a question. And you kind of have to put them in your place and say, no, 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 I'm the one who asked the questions. Podcasting is not like that. It's not a deposition. It's a conversation. Yeah. And at least that's how I treat my podcast. And it's actually been great to sort of be able to share a little bit about me as a person and how I think and who I am. And for people who like listening, that's great. And I hope I add value to their days and their weeks. And for people who don't, I'm not offended that you chose not to listen to my podcast. It's not a big deal. Lots of other shows. We're getting close to the end of our time, so I just want to ask a couple more questions. The first is, somebody's listening to this, they're doing the laundry or walking the dog, and they're thinking, I'm a podcast consumer, but I have something to say in the world. What do you recommend to that person, maybe besides coming to Law Pods, but of who's considering trying this medium of communication out? What should they be thinking about and what might be the first thing you'd recommend they do? I mean, first, what is it that you want to talk about and who wants to listen? Hmm. Just think about the, the product and whether it needs to exist. And sometimes it does. And when it's, when it's a law podcast, I think that there's always going to be something to say. I mean, practice areas vary and, and it's more beneficial for some than others. But at the same time, think about what do you have to say and do you want to do it? Like maybe step one, do you actually want to do it? Because some people think they need to do it. Hmm. And if you don't want to do it, I don't think you're going to like it. If that's just not something that you enjoy doing, I, I, I don't think I would recommend it because not that it's super difficult, but it's not easy. It's, you know, you want to get up to the microphone. You want to enjoy what you're doing. You want to sound excited. You want to connect with other people. It's hard to connect with other people mm -hmm. when you're not doing something that you enjoy doing. But I'll tell someone who does want to start one is it's way less complicated than you think. Hmm. At the end of the day, to get started, to at least, you know, test drive the idea, you need a laptop, which you already have, and you need a USB microphone. That's really all that you need. You need a decent, you know, you get a decent USB microphone for around $60. And not that you couldn't start with something cheaper, but sure. I mean, that's, that's a pretty small investment to, to try to put something together that's professional. And you are going to sound with that microphone in a decently quiet space that isn't right beside a highway that you're going to hear it and you're not going to sound much different than I sound right now. I'm in my spare bedroom. Hmm doing my recording. And this is close to what you're going to sound like with that $60 microphone plugged in to your laptop. So getting started and just feeling it out, do that recording, maybe do it with someone else, listen back to it, 
Was that fun? Oh, it was. Does it sound good? Probably does. I mean, you probably realize, oh my gosh, I say, um, way more than I thought I did. Yeah. That's where we come in though. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I was going to say. And it can be for the people who like it, they tend to really, really like it. I, I don't have any clients in more than four years of doing this that have stopped working with me. Some are more consistent than others, but no one has ever left and gone to someone else or just quit doing their podcast completely. They, they, they enjoy it. They all tend to enjoy it. It's, it's a kind of a fun thing to do. And it's also so easy to get so much content with such little effort. That I think is probably the most intoxicating part of it is we have to create content that we're putting out. And when you sit down for 30 or 45 minutes on a microphone and then you just give that audio to your team or an outsourced team and they turn it into a podcast episode, but they're also turning it into long form show notes, 1,000, 1,400 word posts that are all linked out with everything that you talked about transcribing that. And then you're turning it into little snippets. Those, like you said something at, you know, 46 minutes, that was fire. And they pull that out and they put it on this nice branded background. They drop that on LinkedIn. People see it. It's got captions. It's got your pretty face on it. And they go, it gives them an opportunity to to not maybe click on a link and listen to your podcast, but to see you, right? to get that branding going. And also they can see what you're talking about. Oh, that is kind of interesting. That is something I'd thought about. And so it allows you to get all of that, just literally dozens of pieces of content from that one conversation that you had. And in their business development plan every year, they see all of these different things they have to do, write these blog posts. And there's nothing worse than sitting down, nothing worse. That's a little extreme, but I, it's not great to sit down with a blank page and say, okay, go write a thousand words on something. Oh dear. But talk for 30 minutes about something you already love and just answer questions. And then we'll turn that into way more stuff than a blog post. Right. Right. That, that tends to be a big selling point. Yeah. I mean, two things that I, that I heard you say that I don't want to step on that I want to highlight are one, it's like anything else. Like if you think you might want to do it, any creative project, figure out what your purpose is and who your audience is. Like that's what I teach on the first day of legal writing. And the same is true when you're thinking about maybe I want to do a podcast. And the other piece is, and, and I guess I'm adding my own gloss here, is just start, right? Yeah. And I will tell you, it is not as easy as Rob makes it sound uh, <laughs> if you want to do all of the things that he talked about. So seriously, uh, this is not part of the, uh, the sponsorship moment. But seriously, if you want to do all those things, like check out Law Pods and find someone to help you. But you're absolutely right that someone who has no experience, right? They don't teach you podcasting in law school or law professor school, which doesn't exist. I started a podcast with a microphone and my laptop yeah, and maybe a thousand followers on Twitter and maybe 600 connections on LinkedIn. And in 2021, I had almost 50,000 people download this podcast. So if, if I can do it, and I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back too much. I will pat you if on the I back. Can do it, if, if I can do it, literally anybody can do it is the point that I'm trying to make. And So I encourage not just the senior lawyers, the junior lawyers out here, I'm a big believer that the 21st century is going to be about people who have audiences. And the irony for lawyers is that lawyers always needed audiences, right? We're a client-centered business. And so find your niche. Maybe it's not podcasting. Maybe it's YouTube or Alex Sue, who's on TikTok or Twitter or LinkedIn or your local bars message board. But like, find a place to put yourself out there and build a community. 
even though there's a pandemic going on, we can do it all from our from our laptops as well. And I think that's really powerful. And I'm so glad that you're helping people do it. Go ahead. I was going to say the pandemic like blew podcasting up because everyone had to do it like this. So we had to figure it out. And then once we figured out how to do it, we realized how easy it was to create a podcast episode from our houses like we are right now. Absolutely. I mean, to think about how much, I mean, Zoom was not part of the lexicon of of the world. And now, I mean, a podcast is just a fancy Zoom at the end of the day, right? Right. You know, one of the things that I've heard you say, and I've heard it come out in various ways, is sort of this, this desire to be a creative person in your professional life. And I don't think lawyers see themselves as creative. So how do you sort of like deal with the tension that probably arises with people who you work with who may not feel creative, but can be? That's, I mean, that's a complex issue to deal with because a lot of people feel like they're not, some people are not super creative and, and that's okay because when it comes to podcasting, I don't think it necessarily has to always be creative. And it's for a lot of lawyers, it's really about answering a question. Most lawyer podcasts that I work with are just answering a question, whether something happened in a private equity space, whether there was new legislation or what's going on with the market, that's, people have questions. Their current clients have questions. Their potential clients have questions. And it's just show up and talk. Don't stress too much about thinking about yourself as a creative person. But at the same time, if you are a creative person, this is an, an excellent outlet to explore it. I, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but I was convinced for 35 years that I was not creative. I did not take art classes because I could not draw. I am not creative. I did not do anything that I thought of as creative. I didn't get into acting. I didn't get into playing music or singing or any of the creative things that people think about because I'm not a creative person. That's just not who I am. And I really think that that was partially responsible for my mental health issues that I was dealing with was I was bottling up what needed to come out. I've heard Eddie Vedder talk about this, and he sounds like he has an extreme case, but he, he says, if I don't get it out, like bad things happen, essentially. Like it's, it's a demon that I have to exercise actively. That's why I create so much, because it has to come out. And I don't feel the way he does, but I still, I understand I understand because I am highly creative now. I never stop creating something, whether it is, and I did start playing music. I'm no good at it, but I love it. Hmm. But I'm always on the microphone. I'm always writing. I'm, when you see a lot of the work Law Pods does from our videos that we take from the videos of podcasts and turn those into videos, those are not just slapping something on to a template and rolling it out. Like we put a lot of thought and work and design into that. And most of what you're seeing is my direction is, is I have that vision. And I said, let's move this here. Let's do that. Let's try this color. Let's try that cut. Let's like the, all the stuff with the sound design you hear our firm do, you know, I have a great team, but a lot of that stuff you're hearing is me going, I think that the beat should drop there. And then the voiceover should come in there. I don't know who that person is. Like that's, I didn't know that person existed six years ago. And now that I have allowed that creativity to come out, I'm happier. My mental health is as good as it's ever been. And it's, it's amazing. And so I think for anybody, like if you're listening and you think you're not creative, maybe you're not. 
odds are you have some creativity in there somewhere. You just need to explore it and, and let it out because it's a hell of a lot of fun when you do. Yeah. And and even if podcasting's not your creative outlet, give yourself an opportunity to try one. And I think sometimes lawyers think of themselves as not creative, but we are all creators, right? Yeah. I tell my law students on the first day, even though they didn't know they signed up for it, they're in a profession where most of them are going to be professional writers, whether they like it or not. And so it's about time to build a writing process and build a creative process and learn who you are through that. But it's, it's been super fun. Well, look, Rob, I just want to sort of you know, bring our time to a close by asking what I always ask at the end of these, which is for a piece of advice. And I want to ask for a very particular kind of advice from you, which is what do you wish either starting law school, Rob, or graduating law school, Rob, knew that you know now? Oh, my word. My word. Uh, I wish that I hadn't been so set in my identity of who I thought that I was. Because when you have this really rigid idea about who you think you are, you make decisions around who you think you are. Instead of allowing there to be space to consider almost anything. And because you shut yourself up from, off from a lot of opportunity when you think you know who you are. I still today try not to take myself too seriously or really think I know who I am. And that's been great because the number of possibilities in my life are basically endless. And that's a cool feeling. And I didn't have that for a really long time, especially, you know, going to law school. And then you go to law school, you come out and you're like, well, of course I'm going to be a lawyer. Why would I not be a lawyer? I just spent all that time and money and my mom helped me go through school and supported me. And like, yeah, of course I'm going to be a lawyer. And then you're doing it and then you don't like it. And you're like, well, put your big kid pants on. Not everybody likes everything all the time. And, and that was the story I was telling myself. You just have to try harder because this is who I am. This is what I've chosen. And you have to lean into it. And that was, it, it's wild. And that's a discussion for another day. But that was a lesson I taught myself from a young age that when things are painful, you lean into them. You figure it out and you overcome it. And it, that served me so well. But then when you fast forwarded to me trying to figure out what to do and not liking my career, I think it held me back because I said, I just have to try harder. I just have to lean into it. And then I'll somehow overcome all of this, you know, crippling anxiety that I'm facing every day. I just have to lean into it. And so I, I do wish that I'd been a little bit more flexible with myself, not had this like strong idea of like who I am, because like, <laughs> who knows, maybe tomorrow I will learn to play the guitar better. And maybe I'll go on tour. We'll see. You know, I don't know. But I don't shut off anything anymore. I just, I, I'm, I'm a curious person. I like to kind of pull at threads. And, and that gets me in trouble because you got to focus too if you want anything cool to happen. Sure. But it also opens you up to a lot of really cool people, a lot of really cool experiences when you just kind of pull on threads and go, I wonder what that's like. And, and so it's, yeah, that's, that's probably my best advice. And, you know, for, for anybody else starting out, like, just don't take it too seriously. You're not stuck with law. Don't be afraid to quit. I'm, I'm the, I'm the law quitter. You know, I feel like that's my job to say, like, <laughs> if that sucks and you hate it, don't be afraid to do other stuff because there's a ton, like, there's a ton of great jobs out there that pay really, really well, like comparable to a lawyer's salary that don't come with all of the same things. You know, Joni, you said, we have we both have friends who are civil litigators who were amazing. They were born for it. But I have a lot of friends that weren't and they wish they were out and they just they haven't figured out a way to allow themselves to do it yet. 
And so I think if, if that's where you find yourself, pull the ripcord. Amazing. Well, look, Rob, this has been so, so fun. Um, remind me or remind listeners where they can find you uh, if they want to learn more about you and what you do. Just type in law pods anywhere you are, like just L-A-W-P-O-D-S, type it in no matter what search engine you're in or social media platform you're on and you're going to find us. Jonah, I want to say that you don't know how exciting it is for me to get like all this like praise and and excellent feedback on a regular basis from a legal writing professor. (laughs) It really is, is wonderful for me because that has not been my experience throughout (laughs) my life. So thank you for that. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's funny. I just posted today on Twitter and on LinkedIn about grades because grades just came out. And one of the things I, the key I wanted to say to the world was you are so every student is so much more than the letter that shows up to their next to their name in a particular class. And if legal writing isn't your jam as a legal writing professor, I'm giving you permission to let it not be your jam. Just find your jam, find your story. And Rob, it's always great working with you. And I can't wait for our uh, friendship and our collaboration to continue. Hey, thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye. Again, I'm Jonah Perlin, and this is the How I Lawyer podcast. Thanks to podcast sponsor Law Pods for their expert editing. If you're a lawyer considering starting your own podcast, definitely check them out at lawpods.com. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, I hope you'll consider sharing it with friends and colleagues or on social media. And of course, if you haven't already done so, please sign up for the email list at howilawyer.com or subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, if you have comments, suggestions, or ideas for the show, please reach out to me at howilawyer at gmail.com or at Jonah Perlin on Twitter. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.